This is The Catholic Current with Father Robert Mateig. Doctor, has there been something put in the water? Is the Joker or some Batman villain giving some kind of hidden gas to parents? It's like, that's a great idea. I want my kids around that sex offender. What right. is going right. on? See, the point is that no sane parent really does want that. The blessing of transgenderism coming at us so rapidly is that people can see for themselves that this is a top-down phenomenon. There is no grassroots support for transgenderism. It is all astroturf. Praise be to Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTigg of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. As always, let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, through the intercession of St. Ignatius Loyola, we ask that you pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us, a spirit of discernment, that you might hear your voice and obey your command. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, friends, Catholics know that March is the month of St. Joseph. We, we honor him as the patron of the Universal Church, as the terror of demons, as role model for fathers, and so on. The secular calendar is a little little bit different. According to the White House, March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and not to be outdone, it's also Women's History Awareness Month. It used to be Women's History Week. We'll talk about that a little bit later. My returning guest is a favorite of listeners. I understand she is a lifelong owner-operator of Double X Chromosomes. Find her good work under the heading The Crusader Gal. Sarah Courier, welcome back to The Catholic Current. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, Sarah, in your, your last live stream, which we're linking to, you started off with a uh, uh, reference to how Google was celebrating Women's History Month. Uh, you found that... Uh, I, I don't think that what they intended... <laughs> okay, I was going to say, I don't think that, that what they intended is, is how, how you took it. Fill us in on what Google did and didn't do for you. I certainly hope this isn't how they intended it. But yes, when you search for Women's History Month in Google during this month, you're greeted by what seems like a, a an old birthday card from the early 2000s, those e-cards with, with flashing bubbles, like as if they expect that every child, or sorry, every woman is a child. And that's how you're greeted, with bubbles that say things, you know, like um, in, in order to give a woman a sense of empowerment as if she didn't have that without the biggest tech company reminding her of her sense of value in the world in the secular world and so that's how i was greeted by being told that i'm actually nine and i kind of need big tech to tell me that i matter and have value well i'm i'm thinking that you know uh women who get up and, and go to work in the morning women who who homeschool their kids uh, you know, women who pursue the careers, you know, w women who are who are adults and are matured past the, the age of nine don't really need that. I, I mean, I'm trying to think, it makes it sound like a Ryan George pitch meeting. Who at Google said, you know what would be great? We, sh we should do this. Do you think it was more likely that, that, that a man did that or, or a woman? Uh, I'm, I'm almost afraid to guess. It seems like it was something that a man would come up with, but it reinforces the old stereotype that ironically feminists used to complain about, right? That women are stuck in a state of infantilization and that they don't actually progress and mature. And because of that are unable to compete with men in any sort of uh, intellectual capacity. And nowadays, and it's not just Google, if you look at the different affirmations from basically every major corporation in regards to so-called Women's History Month, you get reminders that well, apparently women need these affirmations. Women are unable to stand on their own. They, they have a, a lacking sense of value, if not reassured by corporate America, of the fact that they matter and they really can do it if they try really, really hard. And if they're told that they're empowered and, you know, go women. Right. And, and with the indispensable help of the government, because you really can't achieve anything. You can't realize your aspirations. You didn't even know that you can aspire until you had, um, until you have government help. And we'll talk more in the next segment how, how we went from 
1982 Women's History Week and went to Women's History Month in 1987 in the most recent uh, proclamation that, that came out just uh, just the other day for Women's History Month. Oh, my, my goodness. You're, you know, uh, some people have a friend in Jesus, uh, but women have a friend in, in Uncle Sam. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that in, in, in the next segment. You know, I was uh, in college uh, as an undergrad in, in the 80s. I, I was in Washington, D.C. It was a fascinating time. And there were a lot of young ladies sporting T-shirts with um, – it had a suitable illustration from from Dr. Seuss in terms of style, and it had the famous feminist slogan: "A woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle." Tee hee hee. I had a friend who went, it was a woman who went to med school, and she got a T-shirt that said, "Becoming the doctors our parents wanted us to marry." How has that worked out for? We don't need no stinking men. How has that worked out for women? I think it's worked out terribly for the country. I mean, arguably for the Western world, as we've gone from uh, women being part of, you know, an actual marriage and from being part of an actual family. Um, when we when we break down the family, as we've done, we break down society and what kind of held it together, culturally speaking. And as we look around, we found that, as you alluded to, that women haven't simply gone to full independence in their rejection of marriage or in the rejection of men, but rather became dependent upon someone else. They became dependent upon the government. Um, and our welfare system is set up to sort of reinforce that for a lot of different women who decide to take the route of, well, I'm not going to get married and instead I'm going to go on welfare. And in fact, welfare will punish me if I get married. So instead I'll use the government as a kind of perpetual husband um, upon whom I can be a dependent. Yes, yes. There was um, a, a government-sponsored commercial, oh gosh, back in the Obama administration, and it was called The Life of Julia. And it was a young lady, you know, according to the language of today, would say at birth, she was assigned the gender of a female. But at every step of her life, from, from birth to retirement, uh, the only reliable male figure in her life was Uncle Sam, was the federal government, you know, the, the mail carrier delivering the check every week before direct deposit. At no point was there uh, a father or a husband or a grandfather uh, of, of any type. Anything that she could accomplish, it was only going to be because she had the government to lean on. I think that's that's very bad for everyone. Friends, we're talking today on this Timely Tuesday with Sarah Corrier, the Crusader gal. We're talking about uh, Who Needs Women's History Month. Talk a little bit about how this this approach to women in relation to the federal government as the consummate sugar daddy, that's not, that's not only bad for women, it's bad for everyone, isn't it? Well, it is because our entire society has to hinge upon uh, a certain foundation and the proper foundation would be the family unit. And we've, we're kind of in rejection of that at this point. And by, by we, I just mean culture at large, uh, not you and I, but rather that I think as you look around, we, we sort of see the, the fruits that have uh, been the result of this decision making. And you also see, frankly, as you talk about women rejecting men in the form of marriage, but what you see instead is that when giving up that kind of uh, reliance upon family and their proper state within the family, they then end up going into these different careers that demand massive amounts of time, and they're working for you know somebody else who serves as their their instructor. And I'm not sure exactly how, but at some point in time, it was established in a sense that women were in some way gaining by giving up this the stature in the home where they were there with a loving family and their children and their, their husband. And somehow they went into this area with a cubicle and, and somebody giving them instructions where they were isolated all day. And that was supposed to be some kind of um, benefit. I'm not really sure who benefits, but I'm pretty sure that women don't. I don't think that society does either. Right, because we, we end up having children being ranged by, by strangers. Uh, you work a whole day for someone who doesn't love you, and then you spend the vast majority of that on taxes and, and child care. Um, and they're know, not just being raised by strangers, Father. I'd, I'd feel better with my child being raised by my neighbor than by a teacher at the educational system who is unwilling to simply mention God in the school, right. is unwilling to, and who has a moral compass that is frankly backward. Right, and and 
and those people are being uh, deliberately selected to uh, to be drawn to to our, our children. And and we saw this, of, of course, during the COVID interruption, when parents were discovering, sometimes for the very first time, what was actually being said to their children in the classroom. And, and there were lots of threads of conversation that says, oh my goodness, what are we going to do now that parents might overhear what we're actually saying? Uh, to to children. So I think that was a very great wake-up call as well. So it seems to me, uh, and I think my my more cynical friends, would um, they they urge me to accept this as true, is that it is no accident that women were wedged out of home and family. They were uh, wedged away from children. They had to become self-loathing females because of their capacity to become pregnant. And their greatest aspiration was to be like the worst caricature and stereotype of men as someone who could be promiscuous without consequence and someone who was in isolation and had no relationships. And somehow that would not only be better for women and children, it would be better for everyone. And all the data indicate that that was an absolute lie. That's a disaster. And it seems to me that the federal government has said, let's double down. Friends, we come back. We're going to continue our conversation with Sarah Corey, the Crusader Gal. On this timely Tuesday, we're talking about who needs Women's History Month. In the next segment, we're going to talk about how Women's History Week became Women's History Month. You want to stay with us for the whole hour. In the last segment, it's you and me sharing timely thoughts, reflecting on what we heard today. You know, our rallying cry here at the Catholic Current is Christus Mundo, Mundus Christo, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. And do it because our Lord says so for the greater glory of God, the love of our neighbor, and the salvation of our own soul. After the broadcast today, go to the station of the cross.com, get our resources list, download our audio podcast. Let's take this conversation to the whole world. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTigg. Join me on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern for Double Header. Two guests talking about the mature topic of queering the culture. My guests will be Dr. Ryan Anderson, president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and Emma Jo Morris of Breitbart News. We'll have a lot to say about the power and direction of the transgender ideology at work in public policy and our schools. Join us on The Catholic Current at 5 p.m. Eastern, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. You're listening to The Catholic Current with Father Robert Mateig from the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Stay connected with the show, our guests, and topics by following the show on Twitter and Gab. Just search for The Catholic Current. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. My returning guest on this timely Tuesday is Sarah Corrier. You know her as the Crusader Gal. She's a listener favorite. We're going to link to her good work. You want to stay with us for the whole hour in the last segment. It's you and me. Uh, with timely thoughts reflecting on what we've learned today. We're talking about Women's History Month and who needs it. Uh, Sarah, you and I have done some some digging on Women's History Month, and it seems that it was originally Women's History Week. It came out of a joint resolution uh, from Congress and signed into signed off by the president in the summer of 1981, and it would begin in March of 1982. It was Women's History Week. And here's what, what stands out. In every paragraph, it talks about women of every race, class, and ethnic background did these praiseworthy things, and therefore we should have some suitable celebration because women of every race, class, and ethnic background did these praiseworthy things. And, and objectively, that was all true, and, and that really can't be denied. Uh, the White House has... And somehow, for some reasons not made clear, in 1987, History Week became History Month in March. Uh, the White House released a proclamation on Women's History Month in uh, on February 28th, whereas the original one was, was just, you can put it on one page. This goes on for a couple, two, three pages. 
you, we've both read the document. Point out what you see as, as the principal differences between the original proclamation 40 years ago and the proclamation for Women's History Month this month. Well, the biggest thing that stands out is that the original one with the um, proclamation regarding the Women's History Week mentions every race, class, and ethnic background of women in order to laud their victories. And then the the modern one that just came out just days ago instead separates women based upon whether or not they're of a certain race. For example, it lords Native American women, it lords black women, it also lords LGBTQI+, plus, that's, yes, that's what they said, women. They don't mention white women, they simply separate women into all of the different victim classes of the modern left, leave out white people because they're considered to be oppressors by the modern left, and then lord those people, but they lord them instead, not for things that were... Um, I think, inarguably good things that have uh, arisen in the past. But instead, the accomplishments they cite are not, in general, accomplishments that I would consider to be positive. Um, instead, they're, they're talking about things like Roe versus Wade as an accomplishment for women. And actually, I would argue that that's not true, right. that rather that the promotion of abortion that exists in our modern age is counter to what is good for women. Right. And I noticed, too, that in the, the extended and ever-growing acronym LGBTQI+, uh, uh, the, the transgender community is singled out for, for special mention. I remember, you know, when, when Title IX was a new thing, and they said, look, you know, women's uh, athletics have been given short shrift historically. We got to fix that. Okay, I, I, I guess so. I didn't know what, what the before was, but I know that's a thing now. But the transgender movement is certainly going to be the, the death knell of women's sports, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, because women just can't compete against men as athletically. They're not as strong. We're built differently. I'm not sure why it's controversial to say this, but it ought not be because the truth should not be controversial except for in an age such as ours. But when you look at the, the trans um, farce around us, you just kind of see the denial of truth and the a sense of indignation by the modern left against truth because they get us to, to kind of to, to say things that are not true, such as to use the wrong pronouns, to declare that men are women and then to act as if that lie is in some way righteous. And that is, um, it's bad for society to, to sort of build itself on a foundation of lies, but also it's bad for women and things like women's sports and women's safety in regard to, you know, bathrooms and locker rooms and that kind of thing as well. But when they focus in proclamations like this on things like trans women of color, which is what they keep using this phrase. You'll see it in a lot of different uh, debates in the political saga. They, they talk about how trans people are victims of violence and they keep mentioning trans women of color. So I kept thinking about this. Well, why is it that you have sort of violence over-offensive in this area? And I thought, well, actually you don't because trans women of color said in English is black men. And like it or not, when you look at the disparity in, in murder rates, for example, you'll see that black men are disproportionately represented as both victims and perpetrators of crimes. That simply didn't change when some of those black men began pretending to be women. We actually have exactly the same sort of dynamic. We're just giving these people a new sort of oppressed class, and that's all it is. It's the renaming of that. Uh, Sarah, I want to go back to, to the issue of, of women's sport, and, and maybe maybe you and I have, have jumped the gun uh, declaring the death of women's sports because of transgender ideology. Because if women can compete as equals in combat in the military, in, not just pushing buttons of missiles, but kicking down the door as special forces operators going toe-to-toe, with uh, special forces of, of other countries, of uh, you know p people armed to the teeth and not afraid to die. If women can compete in mortal combat, spelled with a C, why would we then go to say that trans men and women's sports is the end? Am, am I getting confused here? Help me out. Um, well, what, it, what it comes down to is that women cannot compete with men, including in combat of that sort in the military. We live in an age that is so hinged upon the denial of truth that things like this are stated uh, gratuitously, but falsely. 
when we put women inside of military units, we notice that their, read their readiness goes down. We, we notice from marine studies that, in fact, when you have these mixed gender units, that they are not as capable as all-male units. And therefore, it's actually a bad idea for us to allow women into combat roles in the military, even for those women who specifically want to go. We're not even talking about the draft here. We're talking about women who specifically want to enter a combat role. It's bad for us, and they shouldn't do it as individuals because it does reduce the capacity of our military. And when you join the military, it's supposed to be about the, frankly, about the, the communal effect there, right? It's actually a collective action that the army is or the military is in order to defend the nation. That's the point. It's not about you in that particular capacity, uh, like it might be, say, in the private sector or something like that. Specifically in the military, it's not about you. It's about the, the capacity of the military to defend the nation, to do what is right. And the women in that, in that particular, in those roles, reduce that capacity. Uh, friends, on this Timely Tuesday, I'm speaking to Sarah Corey, the Crusader gal. We're talking about how Women's History Week became Women's History Month. I'm looking at, at the next paragraph here, and I'm just going to read this. The constitutional right to abortion established in Roe v. Wade is facing an unprecedented assault as states pass increasingly onerous restrictions to, and here's the key, critical reproductive health care and bodily autonomy. Uh, what that means, as I understand it, is critical reproductive health care means the, the ability to kill your child in the womb. I, I think that's murder and not health care because pregnancy isn't a disease. And bodily autonomy, it's not just your body. If it was just your body, that means a pregnant woman has two heads and four arms and, and four legs. And, and of course, and, and we know not just genetically, you've got a unique individual uh, in your body. And these are the same fo folks who talk about bodily autonomy and vaccine mandates. Did, did, let's speculate for a moment. Did anyone with any sense of self-awareness and shame contribute a single sentence to this document? I can't imagine that they possibly could have. Um, if so, they were edited out. Because I've read this thing a couple of times now. <laughs> okay. um, but w when I when I look at that proclamation with regards to Roe versus Wade, that statement, um, I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted because, yes, you're right. We're obviously talking about a woman murdering her child. And this just kind of ignores that and, and refers to it as health care, which is uh, atrocious. But more than that, it, it proclaims that there's some sort of benefit from abortion to a woman. And I fail to accept their, their edict, their statement, that a woman is better off from murdering her child, that she can go on from that particular moment and feel in some way empowered, uh, that there is empowerment in that particular action. And I don't think that the data suggests that. The suicide rates from women who've had abortions are significantly higher than those who had children, uh, or from those who gave up their children for adoption. So when you look at that, you actually see that not only is what they're saying perversely immoral, it's also entirely untrue. And it's bad for women as well as, of course, for, for, for the child. As I go through this document, you know, proclaiming this year's Women's History Month, um, I noticed that there's reference to both equity and equality. And I think in ordinary conversation, people might equate the two. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think part of the the charm uh, of this approach to language is you never really define things precisely. You just make the word mean whatever you want it to mean in that context. Then you don't have to think about it and you can't be held accountable for it. But what do you think they're, they're, they're why do you think they're making that distinction between equality and equity? Because it's never going to be enough, and because we're in a we're in a point in time where women really can do whatever they want to do in modern day America, and so they want to look at it and say, well, we see oppression regardless of the fact that there aren't uh, impediments to that. So as long as they see a sort of difference on output, right? That for example, you might see more men in a certain sector, let's say tech, uh, than you see women. They see oppression. It's like, well, okay, but. What about the fact that a lot of women prefer to go into the arts and writing as opposed to tech? Why is it beneficial for us to drag those women who are happier in this other field into, into STEM careers that they may not find as much fulfillment in? And so what they want to do is, in order to sort of maximize our ability to divide people maximally by these classes of victimhood, is to say, well, no matter what, we're never going to actually have where we should be. We're never going to reach that because we're going to redefine the goals and say, well, as long as they're not exactly the same, you know, we have oppression. 
Right. Well, I, I know that, um, you know, if I were at a, at a university, which is my ordinary frame of reference because I spent so much time there, if I were the associate vice dean of diversion, inclusion, and equity, it's not in my interest to say my work is done here. You know, and, you know, they ha they've had to move from, you know, genuine overt, uh, you know, d d unjust discrimination to uh, microaggressions and then to unconscious bias. Bias you didn't even know you had until we told you. So it seems to me that, that, that the grievance industry has to be looking for fault at a more and more micro level. Because otherwise, these different departments go out of business. And, and part of what, what makes me sad is that it seems to inculcate the, to women that you, you, you can always only be a victim and you can't protect yourself and you can't initiate for yourself. You, you need Uncle Sam, the ultimate sugar daddy, to, uh, to clear the way for you. And then you'll really, really be empowered. All you need to do is vote for Uncle Sam. And then finally, you, you can live happily ever after. Friends, we come back. We're going to continue our conversation with Sarah Carrier. You know her, her good work as a crusader gal on this timely Tuesday. In the next segment, we're going to talk about an essay that she just published today. We're going to ask the question, who wants you to hate your neighbor? I think the answer will surprise you. You'll want to stay with us for the whole hour. In the last segment, it's you and me uh, sharing timely thoughts, reflecting on what we've heard today. After the broadcast today, go to the stationofthecross.com, get our resources list, download our audio as podcast. Wherever you can find audio, you can find us. Uh, follow us on your favorite channel, write a five-star review. We need to attract the attention of the algorithm so these conversations get the attention they deserve. Take us to your family and friends. Together, we'll take it around the world. Back in just two minutes. Stay with us. This is The Catholic Current from the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Catch up on an episode you've missed or share them with your family or friends. The Catholic Current is podcasted wherever you enjoy listening. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ of the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. On this Tuesday, this timely Tuesday, our returning guest is Sarah Corrier. You know her good work as the Crusader Gal. You want to stay with us for the whole hour in the last segment. It's you and me with timely thoughts reflecting on what we've heard today. Sarah, you, you recently published on, on your Substack an article that we've, we've linked to, and there's the title, The Cultural Shift, You Against Your Neighbor. But what stands out for me is the subtitle you gave, which was, There Are Those Who Have a Vested Interest in Your Isolation. Why did you write that? I wrote it because as I look around at what's going on in, in the West, in the U.S. and Canada and Australia, uh, most especially, but also in England, what I see is governments seeking to leave people in a state of isolation and impoverishment, uh, certainly psychological impoverishment. And I think there's a, there's a goal to that. Whenever throughout history governments have, have done this, it's in order that they might be more totalitarian, that they might prevent a society from, frankly, righteously fighting against it. And as we look around, we see our society descending into more totalitarian regimes. I mean, you just had uh, Trudeau up in Canada uh, taking people's bank accounts away because they dared to protest against his other edict, you know, which was also tyrannical because it, it, it infringed against the autonomy of the human person in regard to mandatory vaccination. And so you see this kind of thing spreading. And if you just look here in the United States throughout the last couple of years under the auspices of fighting COVID, we've had people who have been arrested for having a party in their backyard. That guy got like a, a year in, in prison, if I remember correctly. You had people being told they couldn't have Thanksgiving parties. You've had small businesses that have been shut down. And all of this is actually in a very real sense necessary in order to create a society in which people are dependent upon the government and separated from their neighbors. And we see different instances now of different agencies within our government, most especially, working in order to isolate people 
from those neighbors, giving them a sense of, well, is your neighbor vaccinated? Is your neighbor masked? Is, is your neighbor doing what your neighbor is supposed to do? And if not, give us a call. And that's a very dangerous road. Right. You know, the, the East Germans uh, had their citizens live in terror because their secret police, the, the Stasi, pretty much had one half of the population spying on, on the other half. And, and when uh, the, the two Germanys were reunited and the, the Stasi records uh, became public, it, it was horrifying to discover that people you had known for years had, had been ratting you out. And it's not only a sense of, of animosity. The, the government is incentivizing this. I know in, in Los Angeles, you know, you could get cash rewards for denouncing yeah. your neighbor for, for violating some, some COVID protocol. Uh, I, I, I'm hard to shock. I'm hard to scandalize. But my jaw dropped when you had a, a link to the Valentine's Day announcement from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Now, my friends say, my cynical friends say, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms sounds like a convenience store. But it's actually a, a federal agency that wants to limit your access to, to all of those things. What was, what was their, uh, their Valentine's Day message to American citizens? It was... Quote, Valentine's Day can still be fun even if you broke up. Do you have information about a former or current partner involved in illegal gun activity? Let us know and we'll make sure it's a Valentine's Day to remember, unquote. So in other words, it was a tasteless post about using the government as a sort of agent of your vindictiveness and spite against somebody who presumably you once cared for. It's a, it's a taste that sort of incites the worst in people to turn against uh, their, their neighbors or their loved ones. Right, and and I and you know, seeing this, and then you know, we see the what's the tragedy that's unfolding in Russia and Ukraine, and, and Justin Trudeau getting teary eyed about we have to stand up against the authoritarians, uh, you know, and we and, and yeah, and then we 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 see China who's moving very aggressively into the brave new world of, of a social credit system, offering cash rewards for those who turn in their neighbors for illegal religious uh, activities. Uh, it seems to me that what what the the momentum is towards is the breaking down of a sense of common humanity uh, that uh, we are dependent upon the government for our information, for our news, for our health, for our safety, for our finances, for our food. And I'm going to relate this and, and tell me if you think I'm going too far. I want to relate this to the transgender ideology movement that we see taking place in schools, especially with younger children. You know, there was a time where if a kid wondered whether he was a boy or a girl, all he had to do was drop his pants and look. And the transgender ideology in your schools is saying, no, Johnny, no, Sally, you cannot trust your ordinary senses. You cannot trust common human experience. You certainly cannot trust your parents. Everything is in doubt. And the great authority figure will help you to discover your really true truth. Is, is, is that an overstatement? Am I moving into dystopian literature here? No, we're just moving into a dystopia. <laughs> uh, so, no, when we look at what's going on in our schools, they are told to sort of deny deny reality, deny objective truth. And then at the same time, the school system is getting in, in between the child and the parents by coming to this child and saying, you know, you might actually be you know, a girl on the inside, even though you're a boy, for example. We don't have to tell your parents, but let's come up with this other different name for you. And then they're kind of confusing this child about uh, his identity, his intrinsic value, and and even his sexuality, which is something that kids at that age aren't even familiar with. But they are now because we keep telling them about it uh, constantly. And any ap approach to prevent that is being criticized by the modern left, as you see in the Florida bill, the don't say gay bill that the left have just, you know, renamed it as, even though this is a bill that does not actually include the word gay anywhere. Right. Uh, so, so, yeah, that, that's certainly the direction that we're going. Right. Uh, friends, I'm speaking today with Sarah Corrier, known as the Crusader Gal on this timely Tuesday. We're talking about her recent essay that, that we're linking to about uh, those who have a vested interest in, in, your, in your isolation. Uh, it seems to me that the direction that, that we're going in is, is one of, of fear, of one of confusion, and then uh, really a, a sense of organized hatred. You know, there was a time when we were supposed to hate 
the anti-vaxxer and now we're supposed to hate the Russians. And I said, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Putin apologist in the least. I, I really don't want to hate Russian people. I, I really don't want to hate anyone uh, at all. Th this is, this is unhumane. And when anything that's anti-human is ultimately anti-God because we're, we're made as creatures of God. Uh, we're, we're both Christians, you know, how, how does a Christian begin to respond to the lies that we're being told in this paradigm? I think we have to sort of reassert the fact that we are all made in the image and likeness of God and remember that and, and fight back against fear messages because fear and faith are at opposite ends of the spectrum. And people are far easier controlled when they are afraid. Um, that's why it's why governments work so hard in order to create fear before they come down with some kind of authoritarian edict because people, when they're afraid, seek uh, and lean toward and into sources of authority. They find comfort in it. And I think that as Christians, we should actually be finding comfort in God as opposed to in government. There's a terrible thing that occurs, especially in communistic societies, when people are, are terrorized by a government and then they turn to that government to be their salvation. And a government is never, you know, an actual salvation, but that's what happens. And certain governments that are, that are particularly totalitarian really try to, uh, to embody this. And you'll see that like in China and North Korea where they try to sort of deify their, their leading figures because right. they know there's a sort of a, a, an innate human yearning for God and they mm -hmm. seek to fill that themselves. Right. And we, we are, you know, we, we have that hunger for the transcendent and we're saying, no, you can't reach that high. So they put kind of a ceiling over us. And, and you know, uh, let's be clear, no senator will ever vote for having less power. Uh, no senator will ever vote against having uh, uh, more oversight or, or more intrusion. Um, and the idea that, you know, government is the problem, vote harder. I Maybe it's just a lack on my part. I don't see the wisdom on that. I'm going to take an unpopular position and say if we really want to break through against tyranny, we have to have a moment of clarity and humility and say we're in this mess because we rejected Christ. Full stop. We have to start with that. You know, at best, we tolerated Christ as our religious mascot. And, and that simply doesn't work. You know, all these different programs that, that different churches are responding against poverty, against racism, against whatever, if you're not leading people to convert to Christ and reject sin, then all your efforts for justice will, by definition, be for naught. So if you want to recognize that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, you've got to take worship seriously. Worship is telling the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. And then from worship, when you realize, oh, I'm not alone at acknowledging the truth about human nature and the truth about God, there are people standing with me. And then we move to Christian fellowship. So what are your thoughts first on, I insist on the primacy of worship, and then from worship will come fellowship. What are your thoughts on that? I agree completely, and I do think that one of the things that's been lost, most especially in, in, in the recent couple of years, but honestly, like back to the last 20, uh, in, is a form of community that especially would revolve around, you know, a, a parish and so on. That kind of a community nowadays is really lacking people. And everyone that I speak to in the real world agrees with this. You can talk to a hairdresser, and they'll tell you that there's no sense of community. They'll tell you, that nowadays in modern society, what happens, how do people make friends? Well, they go to work and they have colleagues and then those are their friends until they get a different job and then those are their friends. That's not the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to have friendships based upon a, a common set of values and those are people we're supposed to actually, you know, communicate with and worship with outside of work. Mm -hmm. And this is the sort of thing that would provide a good stop against tyranny is people who are are willing to help each other when the time comes that they need to. And I think that if we're going to start making any progress whatsoever and pushing back against what modernity has done, we need to start re regaining that sort of Christian community that we once had, at least to a, day to a greater degree than we do now. Right. I, I think we need to reorient our priorities. I know that when uh, when, when I was, was growing up, and, and I see that in, in the children of my friends, uh, for, for children, your primary social reference is your peer group at your school, and they are set at odds against family and church, where what children really need is their primary reference group is their family, and then their family, especially their parents, introduce them to fellow Christians, fellow worshipers, and also competent adults 
who do responsible things and become contributing members of society so that young children can say, oh, this is what it's like to, to be an adult. This is what I have to look forward to if, uh, if, if I grow up well. Sarah, we, we've got about a, a minute left here do, do you, in this segment. Do you have a word of encouragement for the listeners? I do. I think that people ought to know that it's possible. And I think that it's so easy to get lost in the news of the day and, frankly, the, the messages of doom that you might get if you spend too much attention to that. And I'm, not, I'm not telling you to be misinformed or disinformed, but rather I think it's easy to sort of lose track of the fact that if you look a little closer, if you look at your family and if you look at your local community and if you look at your local parish, there's things that can be done there to start building up defenses against the future. And you can work together to create a, a future for yourself and your family that is worth fighting for. Oh, Sarah, I, I, I am in, in agreement. Uh, that, that clear sense of priority, that recognition that we have been lied to from very many directions, and God has not abandoned us, and God provides for us what he needs in, in the church that he founded and in, in the neighbors that, that he put in our path. Uh, Sarah Corrier, the Crusader Gal, thank you for another splendid conversation. God bless your good work, and I look forward to next time. Thank you. As do I, Father. I'm Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your host here every day of the Catholic Current. Stay with us for the rest of the hour. In next segment, it's you and me with timely thoughts reflecting on what we've heard today. Be part of the conversation. Follow what we're following by following us on Gab. That's gab.com. Our channel is the Catholic Current. After the broadcast today, go to the thestationofthecross.com, get our resources list, download our audio podcast. Everything you need to take this conversation to your family and friends, we give to you. Together, let's take around the world. We can do it with you. We cannot do it without you. Let's get started today. We'll be back in just two minutes. Please do stay with us. whatever he tells you. Do you realize that those are the last recorded words of Mary in the scripture? Because that simple expression summarizes her entire life. It's all that she was, all that she was called to be. It fulfilled her entire vocation. Do whatever Jesus tells you. That's Sermons for Everyday Living weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. After today's broadcast, go to the Catholic Current Show page on thestationofthecross.com for info on today's guests, the show resource links, and to sign up for our weekly email of upcoming shows. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. It's Timely Tuesday here at the Catholic Current. The last segment, it's you and me sharing timely thoughts on what we heard today. We started the show in conversation with our friend Sarah Corrier, the Crusader Gal, and we're talking about the development of Women's History Month, which began 40 years ago as Women's History Week. And we agreed that as it's developed, it hasn't served women well, uh, it hasn't served humanity well, uh, and it hasn't served Christians well. That what is presented as good for women is really government intrusion into private life breaking down ordinary bonds of fraternity and charity and family. And that's not good for us. So what, what next? Well, obviously, I don't have... Here's my five-step program to make it all better. How to avoid the apocalypse with this one weird trick. No, I don't have any clickbait. I certainly don't have any human solutions. But I want us to have a clear sense of the context we're living in and then point to the one solution, who is Christ. And I hope I can do that in words that Our Lady of Fatima would recognize. Latin American thinker Nicolas Gomez Davila penned these words. He said, modern man is a prisoner who thinks he's free because he refrains from touching the walls of his dungeon. Well, that's a vivid imagery. Uh, but there are people who believe they're free because their connection to Netflix still works, because Uber Eats still delivers, 
because Amazon gets packages on the front porch the next day and doesn't realize that you're trapped in in your cell ultimately you're trapped in yourself you're living in a way of proceeding that denies you access to your individuality denies you access to your neighbor and denies you access to God and so you become frightened and frightened and when you're frightened you're easily manipulated easily angered easily provoked easily intimidated and the government offers to rock you back to sleep, except when it needs you to generate wealth for taxes or cannon fodder for its latest war. A Spanish diplomat Juan de Noza Cortez wrote to a friend in 1849, True progress consists in submitting the human element, which corrupts liberty, to the divine element, which purifies it. And I think that's where we are. Friends, I, I will say again that we, if human life is a mess, if we're miserable on a small scale and a grand scale as individuals and as a civilization, it's because we're not in harmony with Christ. There can be no lasting peace. There can be no meaningful justice. Human nature can't achieve the fullness that God intends unless we're conformed to Christ. And if you doubt me, just look at human history. Look at the headlines, look out the window, look in the mirror. We used to know this and we used to be very clear about that. And this is not a new insight. Go back to St. Augustine writing The City of God, a document he wrote the remaining days of his life and he saw that the barbarians were laying siege to, to the gates. And this is, this is where we are. Uh, the barbarians are laying siege to our gates once again. They are within the gates. Well, what does he say? He says this. He says, For the evils inflicted on the righteous by their wicked masters are not punishments for crime, but tests of virtue. Augustine goes on, The good man, though a slave, is free. The wicked, though he reigns, is a slave, and not the slave of a single man, but, what is far worse, the slave of as many masters as he has vices. So says St. Augustine in the City of God. If you doubt that, just look at the, uh, the adult children of famous and powerful men. See the pictures they post online. Uh, see their, their drug-addled rantings, their, their promiscuity. These poor souls are in very terrible pain. And they refuse to turn to the one place for healing, which is at the foot of the cross. I, I pity them. I commend them to God's mercy. The context we're living in now can be summarized as this. Absent Christ, absent true order, absent the ability to love rightly. All we have are our appetites and our frustrations and no possibility of fulfillment. That's the definition of hell, isn't it? And in hell, there is no charity and there is no mercy. There is only appetite and there is rage. There is rage. And if we want to get a foretaste of hell, just watch the videos of people in the New York City subways shoving strangers in front of moving trains, assaulting them with hammers and feces. Watch the videos of people breaking into freight cars, looking for plunder, leaving trash behind them. Look at the people who run into stores with hammers, breaking into cases, carrying things off. Look at the photographs of people who've been arrested time and time and time again and released to commit more violent crimes. That's just a foreshadowing of what hell is. Relentless anger, relentless appetite, relentless predation, no joy, no charity, no mercy, and never any rest, never any peace. Human life is meant to be a preparation for eternal life. 
In this fallen world where the Christ of God has intervened, we can turn our trials and our struggles and our small joys into occasions for growing into the image and likeness of Christ so that we can live and die as saints in a state of grace and then see the face of God and live. And our goal, our mandate from heaven is to not only do that, but to teach other people how to do that ourselves, starting with our children and expanding into community. I'm a spiritual father. I have spiritual children. I give what I have received, which is the mandate to preach the gospel with authority and the ability to administer the sacraments authentically. I give that to the people whom Christ loves so that they can have what they need to live lives, truly human lives, worthy of their calling. Human beings made in the image and likeness of God with body and soul, with the desire for truth, beauty, and goodness, capacity for love and relationship. All those good things which are lived imperfectly in this life, but can be fully satisfied and brought to flourishing in the happiness of heaven. And no government program can give that and no tyrant can absolutely take that away. So on this month that the federal government calls Women's History Month, let's recall instead the wisdom of the church that March is the month of St. Joseph, the universal patron of the church, the terror of demons, the exemplar of human fatherhood. And let's ask for his intercession and his companionship. Think on these things today. Bring them to prayer. Talk about them with those you love. I'm Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your daily host here at The Catholic Current. Join us tomorrow for a mature episode. We're going to talk about querying the culture with Dr. Ryan Anderson and Emma Jo Mars. It's an important conversation. You're going to want to take notes. After the broadcast today, go to thestationofthecross.com, get our resources list, download our audios podcast. Everything you need to take this conversation to your family and friends we give to you. Together, let's take it around the world. We can do it with you. We can't do it without you. Through the intercession of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, may mighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go in peace and please do pray for me. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Station of the Cross.com, a listener funded nonprofit organization. Please prayerfully consider donating at the Station of the Cross.com by calling 1 877 888 6279 or through our free iCatholic Radio mobile app.